following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Well, it is so great to see you here today. If you are our guest, my name is Roby. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we are wrapping up our series called So Will I, and for the last a few weeks we've been talking about uh, coming together and when we come together to worship. And so glad that you are here and want to welcome those of you joining us online. I uh, want to say thank you to the Pilot Campus. We love you guys. So grateful. You are pioneers, uh, the tip of the spear as we are working out our vision to reach the city. So love you guys. And so we're talking about uh, worship and going through this series, so this is the crescendo today, and we've designed the service a little bit different. We um, have saved time at the end to sing through a couple songs and kind of crescendo this series with a time of worship at the end of our service today, so we will do that in a moment, but we're going to jump into the scripture here today. Also, I want to just say happy Father's Day to you dads out there. I A couple days ago, I got a Father's Day blessing. Some of you know my wife Rebecca and I have three uh, little ones, the youngest um, our, our youngest daughter, Baby Hope, she's already eight weeks old. I can't even believe that. And, um, but just a few days ago, for the first time, I'm holding her and I'm talking to her and she looks up at me and for the first time, a smile just breaks out across her face. And I'm like, all right, I'm done. You, you own me now. I, I'm, uh, it's over. But actually, I was kind of relieved because up until that point, she had only looked at me with this look of deep suspicion, okay? I don't know how to describe that other than like, okay, I know who she is, but who are you? You're around a lot. And so um, I finally uh, won her over, so I'm relieved. But there's something about when, you, when there's a child and it looks up at the face of a parent with delight. There's something that does in a parent. I mean, there's just so much joy that brings to a parent. And I want to talk about that that dynamic today because that is essentially the purpose of worship. We find delight looking into the face of our Heavenly Father, and it brings joy to Him. We've been talking about this idea of when we come together. Worship is a big concept, but we're specifically talking about when we come together and sing together as a church. And, you know, churches, historically, we spend a lot of time singing. I mean, if you think about it, we give a lot of our time together to singing. And so maybe you've grown up in church, you're familiar with church, and you might say, yeah, I guess I've never, I've just always been instinctual, never stopped to think, why do we sing? Others of you, you may say, look, this is my first time I've ever been inside a church before, uh, ever, and say, you know what, honestly, when people were singing, I was kind of watching, and I, it's just, I don't really understand. I mean, some people were raising their hands, some people had their eyes closed, it seemed like they're really into it. I don't really understand what's going on. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. We're going to talk through what that is, what's, what's going on there. Some of you come from um, a different type of church background. Some of you maybe grew up Catholic or grew up in a more traditional church environment. And we love our brothers and sisters from um, different traditions. And as you're entering into this tradition, you might be like, okay, I don't really understand. I'm not really used to this. How does this dynamic work? And so we're going to talk about this thing we do when we come together when we sing. What is it that we're doing? Why do we do it? Because it actually is a very important part 
of our relationship with God. And so I want you to open in your Bible or Bible app to Psalm 150. Open up to Psalm 150. It's the very last psalm in the entire Bible. Um, Psalms is the longest book of the Bible, and it is also kind of the worship book of the Bible. So this is a significant psalm because it, it is like kind of the end, the crescendo of the entire book. A short psalm, but really powerful. Let's start in verse 1. Here's what it says. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Now I want to just pause there. We'll get to the rest of it here in a moment. But I just want to start with a couple parts of the psalm. The psalm opens up with this phrase, praise the Lord. It's also the way the psalm ends. It starts with praise the Lord and ends with praise the Lord. And that's the way all of these last five psalms in this book, they're kind of a set. They all begin and end with that same phrase, praise the Lord. Now what we've been talking about the last couple weeks is we say that in English as a phrase, but in the original Hebrew, that's one Hebrew word. What's that word? Hallelujah. So if you have ever heard the word hallelujah before, I'd imagine all, all of us at some point have heard that word hallelujah. That's not just like a made up churchy word, some kind of traditional word. It is actually a Hebrew word. And it's been preserved throughout history and cross-culturally. You can go to almost any Christian expression around the world, no matter what language they speak. They still use the original Hebrew word hallelujah in some capacity. And that's really powerful because there's something that unites all of us um, across different cultures. It's that we have a function as human beings, a foundational purpose to say hallelujah to God, to praise the Lord. That's something that, that binds us. It starts and ends with hallelujah. Now, hallelujah is actually a command. It says praise the Lord. It's telling us and commanding us to praise the Lord. Specifically, this talks about praising the Lord in his sanctuary. Now, what that's talking about, that is the meeting space when God's people come together to meet. In fact, some traditions actually call that meeting space their sanctuary. We just call this our auditorium. The, the name is not significant, but the concept is significant. There's a dynamic, regardless of where the space is, that becomes sacred. It becomes sacred when God's people come together to worship him, as we're commanded to do. So we worship here in a warehouse. Some in the world worship in a cathedral. Others worship in a coffee house or a nightclub. Some uh, throughout history have worshiped uh, in caves. Some worship under trees. It doesn't matter where the actual space is when God's people come together, there's something sacred. There's a dynamic that happens. Now let me illustrate it with this old story. This is uh, one of my favorites. There's a story of this old Scottish preacher from several generations ago. And in that generation, the, the reverends were like really stern in Scotland, especially like really stern, kind of serious types. You know, they'd wear like long black robes to, to preach in and things like that. And there was a member of his congregation that hadn't been to church in a long time. And so that guy's in his cottage on the blustery hillside somewhere and he's just there and all of a sudden he hears a knock at the door. And he opens the door and there standing is this very stern, stoic 
reverend, and he's like, oh man, I'm in trouble. It's like going to the principal's office, okay? And so he says, oh, come on, come on in, reverend. And he welcomes him in. He pulls up a, a chair by the fire, and he says, here, sit here. And then he pulls up a chair, and they're both sitting on either side of the, the fire, and, and the, the reverend's not saying anything. The preacher's not saying anything, and the guy's getting, like, beads of sweat on his forehead. Like, he must be really mad. And all of a sudden, he stands up. The reverend stands up, and he goes over to the fire, and he gets these, these tongs, and he reaches in. There's this pile of, like, white-hot coals and he reaches in and he grabs one of the white hot coals. And the guy's like, oh, this is going to be bad. This is worse than I thought. He grabs the coal and he moves it out to the edge of the hearth, out away from, from the fire, right there on the hearth. And he puts the tongs back up and he sits down. And the guy's like waiting for him to say something. And the preacher doesn't say anything. He's just staring at the coal. So he looks down at the coal and he sees it goes from white hot and then it goes to kind of a glowing yellow and then kind of a dull red and then as it's slowly cooling out on the hearth, slowly it gets kind of caked in like a gray ash with kind of that faint orange glow slowly kind of fading. The preacher stands up, he gets the tongs, and he grabs the coal, moves it back into the pile of coal, hangs up the tongs, looks at it for a second, and almost instantaneous it gets white hot again. And then he turns and walks out of the cottage, never says a word. That whole illustration was all he needed to say. There's a dynamic that happens when we come together that doesn't happen when we're separate. I was traveling this week and I took an Uber across the town that I was in and I got talking with my Uber driver and uh, we started talking about church, and he, start, and he said, um, yeah, I don't really go to church. You know, it's just me and God. I mean, wherever I'm at, I'm, I'm with God. Whether I'm in a, a forest or here in my car or at home, I'm always with God. And I said, oh, that's great. That's really important. And at, at some point as you're spending time with God, I bet you're going to hear God tell you that you need to be in church because that's how he commands all of us. Because there's a dynamic, like it's great to have a personal relationship with God and spend that time with him, but there, there is a dynamic that happens when we come together that cannot happen on the, uh, when we're separate and we're apart. There's something specific when we come to praise God together that he does. Listen to how um, Martin Luther, the great theologian from 500 years ago, one of the most influential theologians in history, the guy wrote volumes on theology and on commentaries on the Bible, uh, an incredible scholar. Here's how he described it. He said this, At home, in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. Man, if Martin Luther can say that, I mean, he had some pretty good devotions. He wrote a lot of books on the Bible and if he can say that, he's saying, look, there's just something, there's something that stirs up my heart to a white hot heat for God when I gather together with the church. It's this dynamic that we're commanded to do. This psalm is saying, praise God, praise the Lord, hallelujah, praise the Lord in his sanctuary. And then it says why and what we're doing. Why do we do that? He says, praise his excellent greatness, praise his mighty deeds. Why do we come together to praise the Lord? Because he is more than worthy of any praise and worship we can bring him. I saw a newspaper article recently that said they think they've discovered a new candidate in outer space 
for the farthest object away ever seen. It's a galaxy that Hubble with its like special, like looks deep into space and they saw this little tiny glint that they think is a galaxy. Um, actually, here's a, here's a picture of it. Go ahead and pull it up. Um, okay, you, do you see that white arrow? And you see like there's like a little like glowing dot like, like right in front of it? That's not it. Okay, it's like somewhere in between there. It's tiny, okay? They've kind of zoomed it out, zoomed in a little bit so we can try and see it. The, the idea is they believe this galaxy might be over 13 billion light years away somewhere in the universe. Now, when I hear 13 billion light years, like that means nothing to me. Like I can't, oh, I don't know what does that mean. Like, like I know that's far, but I, I got nothing. So I was like, okay, help me think about 13 billion light years. And so I said, all right, What's the next nearest galaxy? We're in the Milky Way. Our solar system's in the Milky Way. What's the next closest galaxy? Like, by comparison, like, how far is that? And it's 179,000 light years. I still have got nothing. Okay, that, that does nothing for me. So I said, okay, all right, I need help here. What about the next star? Okay, in our galaxy, not the sun, but the next closest one after that, the closest star, closest neighbor, they believe is 4.2 light years. I'm like, that I can handle. It's a single digit, okay, four light years, a little over. I, I can handle that. So I'm like, all right, now let me just understand a light year. Okay, how, like, I don't understand rockets and that stuff and how fast it goes. So, okay, if I were to drive to that star, like, I just want to get an idea. Okay, so I drive a, a Toyota Camry, I don't appreciate you laughing at that. Why, why would you laugh? It's just it's what I drive, people. It's not very nice. Anyway, so I drive a Toyota Camry. And according to the speedometer, it says it, it goes 160 miles per hour. I'm not sure I believe that, okay? But it claims it goes 160 miles per hour. So I was thinking, okay, if I drove my Camry to this nearby star, and let's say scientists and engineers figured out how I'd never have to stop for gas and it just perpetually fills it with gas, okay? And the four little cylinders like don't ever explode, okay? And I can just drive at 160 miles an hour like indefinitely, how long would it take me to drive to our closest ne nearby star, okay? So I calculated it, it would take me four Point three million years <laughs> to travel one light year. Okay. You're in your Camry. You've been driving for a long time, okay? 4.3 million years have finally come to a close. You like hit the light. You're like, I need to pull over for a minute. You pull over. I need a rest stop. I should probably hit the restroom. Okay, stretch out a little bit. Get a little snack. You look at your friend. You're like, okay, wow, 4.3 million years. That was a long time. How much farther do we have to go? And they would be telling you, you have not yet driven a quarter of the way there. You have to get to the closest star you'd have to drive for almost 18 million years. Okay. We say things like 13 billion light years. Can we just stop for a second and just 
be in awe at the farthest we can imagine the universe might be? Like, can we just sit in our puniness for a minute? And, and then can we just use that to kind of for a second, like, have some fear? Like, I mean, not like, I mean like real, like, be scared. Of the fact that the being we interact with, God, spoke that into existence. Like, can we just sit in awe for a second what we mean when we talk about God? Like, how ginormous, how powerful, how unimaginably almighty. Yeah, but I mean, we're way in just this little galaxy on this planet where these tiny little creatures, I mean, like, does he even notice us? Well, to the same degree that he is powerful and unimaginably immense. The Bible says he knows every hair on our head. He knows every day we've lived before a thought is in our minds. He knows it. He knows every word we've ever spoken. Can you shudder at that for a second? That's who God is and who are we? We're a people that have the height of audacity to say things like this. Here's who I feel like God is in my heart. I think God is probably, as if God is some kind of imaginary unicorn that we can decide who we want God to be. I feel like God is like this. That doesn't really matter. God is. And he has graced humanity by revealing to us who he is. It really doesn't matter what I want to think God is. He is. He's the one that one time when asked, who are you? He said, how about you call me I am? As in the one who exists. As in he is more real than you are because your realness is dependent on him. So we have the audacity to say, hey God, all right, I'll do this for you if you come through and do this for me. As if we have something to barter with the galaxy breather. As if by us, well, God, I mean, you gotta be pleased. Look at all these good things that I'm doing. As if we have some, something that is worthy of his attention. We have the audacity to take our life and say, I deserve to run my life how I wanna run my life. And the reality is, I am a creation and he has all the rights over my life. And what he is owed and deserves is every millisecond of my existence, pure and total submission and surrender to the one who invented me and everything else. But that's not what I've done. And that's not what you've done. And that's not what anyone has done. And so because we've offended an infinite being, the punishment is infinite rejection of not fulfilling our purpose of praising him perpetually. And that's an eternity in hell. That's what every single one of us deserves.
But what he's told us is that he's not just unimaginably powerful. He's not just awe-strikingly massive. He's not just unfathomably wise and inventive and imaginative and creative and glorious. He loves mercy. And so he looked at us, the, the height and pinnacle of arrogance. And he, he made himself in this minuscule, particle-sized form, the form of a human. Jesus, fully God and fully man. And he allowed us to torture him. Can you believe that? Is there anything just more shocking than that concept of humanity torturing the creator of all that is. The author of life put to death. We caused him to bleed. And he let his blood run out and died on that cross saying, as an infinite being, I will absorb your infinite offense. And he dies. And then because he can, he rises again and defeats death. And he looks at us and here's what he says. You couldn't possibly do anything to earn your salvation. I mean, how could you? He's most holy God. Do you think he's impressed with our, with our prayers and acts of kindness or our church attendance? How could we impress almighty, most holy God surrounded by angels perpetually praising his name? He says, you cannot do anything to earn this. I am giving it to you. Jesus earns it on our behalf. He says, I'm offering salvation to you freely. Put your faith in the fact that God earns your salvation for you. Put your faith in Jesus and we begin the life that we were supposed to begin, a life of praise and worship to God. What has he done for you? Do you realize how he repositions you? He repositions you and me when we put our faith in Jesus from the most outlandish, unspeakable, absurd rebel marked for unimaginable wrath He redeems us and then adopts us as his children. He calls us our child, becomes our father, and leverages all the almighty power for for the plan he has for our life. We come together, church, because of all creatures and and of all humans, we know that he made us and he saved us. He has done mighty deeds, excellent deeds, worthy of our praise. We gather together to praise him for all the things he's done and all the things he deserves our praise for. What does that look like? It continues in verse three. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud crashing cymbals. Now this text looks a lot like a lot of other psalms throughout this book. It lists a bunch of different instruments, cymbals, tambourines, strings, and of course I know your favorite, the lute. Okay? It commands us to praise him with the lute. So when you get home today, dust off your lute, okay? And and praise the Lord. Now some of you are saying, What's a lute? Okay, I'm not going to be able to focus until you answer this one simple question. 
What is a lute? Okay, I've got a picture because I knew you'd ask that question. Here's an ancient lute, a carving of an ancient lute. Look at that. What does that look like to you? That dude is shredding on his lute right there. <laughs> He's on a lute tour through ancient Mesopotamia, okay, just shredding it right there on his lute. It looks like a guitar. All types of instruments we're commanded to praise God with, okay? Uh, all types. Are, is it, does it have to be these in particular? No, of course, this is, this is a, a poem. This is poetry. It's a song. The point is all types of instruments. He wants us to make music to him. Let me just read you some of the other similar commands. Listen to these. All of these are commands to God's people. Listen to some of these. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Listen to this one, Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Listen to this one, Psalm 134, 2. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. He's commanding us to express ourselves in worship and singing. We do that privately. We, we um, worship God on our own. It's one of the reasons that our music ministry writes music. It's to equip us to sing when you're driving to work, when you're home with your family, when you're doing your quiet time alone. Sing, sing to the Lord. Express yourself in the Lord. If you're musical, play, play a musical instrument. It, um, um, he says, engage your body. He talks about dancing and lifting up your hands and shouting and clapping. It's good to free yourself up and respond in worship to God. We also worship corporately. And in the same way, when we come together to worship, we come together to lift up praise to him and we use, these, um, use all kinds of instruments. Of course, when we come together corporately, there's some order to it because we're aware that there's other people we're worshiping with. We don't want to be a distraction. So we, we bring order to it, but the same dynamic is true. You want to express yourself in worship. We're commanded to. We're commanded to sing. We're, we're commanded to do things like clap your hands and, and shout. At the end of some of our songs, we clap and cheer. Why? We're not cheering for the band. We're, we're clapping and praising God. That's instinctual to humanity. You clap and cheer at sporting events. You clap and cheer at shows. You clap and cheer at the end of really good movies. We clap and cheer when we see something excellent. The most unimaginably excellent being in existence is the almighty God. If there's one moment deserving of our clapping and cheering, it's almighty God. That's why at the end of our songs, we clap and cheer. It's, it's a reflex for humanity because we know who we're singing to. We, some of us do things like raising our hands. It's a way to just get your body engaged and just you reach out to God as a way of just bringing your body in a posture of worship. Maybe some of you hold your hands up and bow your heads just kind of receiving these, these words uh, that we're singing. We respond with worship. We, we free ourselves in worship when we're together. Now let me just read this last verse um, in verse uh, 6. Uh, in this psalm, look what it says. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It ends with this. Everything that's breathing. In the previous psalms we've looked at includes everything that's not breathing. But this psalm says, everything that's breathing 
Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, it says. We're made with a purpose to bring glory to God and to praise him. When we sing, we're doing something so fundamentally tied to why we were made. We bring praise to him. We, we lift up our voices. And, and here's the thing. It's like looking up into the face of our father and bringing, and, and our delight in who he is brings joy to him. He commands us to do that. It's first and foremost for him, but there's something it does in us too. There's a power when we're singing together. Every one of us walks in here when we gather and we're all have, we all have battles. We're all fighting battles. And there's something at the root, there's the same root at all, every one of our battles. See, some of us have walked in here today and you've got paralyzing anxiety and worry right now. And you're just paralyzed by what's going to happen. You've got all this fear. That's the same root, ultimately, of those of us who came in here and maybe you're feeling overwhelmed by insecurity or as you compare yourself to other people, as you're thinking about yourself, you just feel this envy and jealousy and this competitive spirit and you just feel that gnawing and clawing inside your heart. Like all of the battles we're fighting, they have essentially the same root. We've gotten back on the throne of our lives and pushed God off. Because when God's on the throne, I'm reminded, that's right, I don't have control. Why am I worried and anxious like I deserve control? He's always been in control. Nothing's changed. Why am I envious of someone else's, the credit they're getting, the attention they're getting, the things that they have, as if glory belongs to me? Glory belongs to God. We're embroiled in battles when we come in here and when we sing, we're squaring up and we're fighting against that battle because we're declaring who God is and putting God back on the throne. We're singing these biblical truths. There's power in these truths. When we gather together, the transformation begins in our lives as we start singing these truths because we're fighting against these battles. We're embroiled in, embroiled in these battles for worship. We fight against it and we draw the line, fighting the battle, saying, no, you are on the throne, God. You are on the throne. There's power when we gather to sing. Now, we're, we're gonna end this series in the service a little uniquely today, a little bit different. We're gonna end with some time to practice what we've been talking about. We're gonna end with some songs and we're gonna take communion and after a time of reflection. And we're gonna do that together in just a moment. But before we do, I wanna invite um, Pastor Josh, our worship pastor out, because I wanna hear from him a little bit as we go into this worship time. Can you help me welcome Pastor Josh, our worship pastor? So grateful for you, man, and um, how you lead us into worship. Josh has given his life to worship leading. And, and has been called by God here to lead us. He leads us into worship. God used him to lead us into that. And so just wanted to hear from you, Josh, a little bit. Um, just two questions. First one, when we enter into this time of worship, just walk us through how to prepare, like as we're coming together into this time of singing that God's commanded us to do when we gather each week. Just walk us through, how should we enter this time? Yeah, I would say our, our posture should be to receive uh, we often think we're bringing something to the Lord, but really we have nothing we're bringing to him. He's invited us in. He's prepared a table. 
he's invited us into his gospel and we should come and say, Father, what do you have for me? What should I do? How should I serve you? And a lot of times we set that up with songs. So we uh, have prepared months in advance for this. We have hand-selected lyrics, songs. We've written songs. We've been praying over songs. We spent a lot of time just prepping for a service so that God can speak to you through the songs. And, and a lot of times in order to receive that, we have to have our hearts uh, in the proper place. And so one of the practical ways we can do that is when you're driving here from the, from the home, if you want to get in your car and you want to say, Father, here I am, just, you know, my palms are up and I'm, I'm here to receive. If it's, maybe it's getting here five minutes early before service starts and just kind of breathing and taking in the stillness of the moment and put the kids in the kids' ministry and you can kind of say, Father, I'm here. This week did not go well or this week went amazing or, man, I just, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do right now. Father, would you, would you help me? And man, we have a good father. I'm telling you, he's an awesome father. He's ready to give and lavish on us gifts that we can't even fathom. So practically, that's a great way to start. Prep your heart before the worship starts. I love that thought of just imagining our, our worship ministry. They have prayed for weeks over the actual songs and the selection of songs. And, and what that means, they're asking God to arrange the, the worship set. And I love that thought because it's almost like God each week is picking out the songs that he wants us to sing to him. And so he's brought songs, the, song, the lyrics we need to hear. And so um, it's coming in saying, Lord, what songs, what words do I need to meditate on? You know the story that I'm in. That's, that's great. And getting here, um, and especially getting here early, I know that can be a challenge. We both have young families, but um, getting here early and being able to set our minds ready to be led through worship is, is awesome. Um, last question, and then I want us to get into actually practicing what we've been talking about. Um, we've talked through the series about various reasons that hold us back from worshiping. So we've talked about, sometimes we just don't know we're commanded. I mean, it's a command, it's not optional. But the other thing is, um, sometimes we come in with our preferences, you know, it's, but it's not ultimately for us, it's, it's for him. And so what, are, what do you think are some other reasons that kind of hold us back from, from worshiping? I would say, too, that come to mind would be we are uncomfortable. And the second one is we, are, we feel defeated. Um, the first one, I, I can give you a little story. I remember being in youth camp when I was 13 years old. We were in Bradenton, Florida, and we, we had the sanctuary that was packed with worshipers. And I was just learning how to express myself as a worshiper. And I would see everyone in the, in the, in the audience just sing in this, this lyric from a song called Marvelous Light. And the song was, uh, I lift my hands and spin around. And I remember how crazy that was to even do that. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. So I, all right, all right, you know. But I remember once I, once I did it, it was like, wow, that was nothing. And that was a piece of cake. And then that was a stepping stone that God had said. He was asking me, make that next step in your journey. Be bold for me. Be unashamed for me. And that's, that's I, the question we shall ask ourselves is what is that next step for us? That might be raising our hands. It might be praying and getting our hearts right. It might be singing out loud. It might look like something totally different. I was driving my wife one day to a church service and we, we rarely get to worship together, but we were worshiping together that day. And the enemy had plans. And so he decided to stir up an argument in the car. The only argument I've ever had in my marriage was that day. So, um, so we, uh, we, uh, <laughs> we had an argument going on, and uh, I didn't know what it was about. And uh, we get to the church service, and I remember just thinking, God, there is no way on this planet I could literally raise my hands and sing to you right now with my wife standing next to me, knowing how unkind I was in conversation with her 20 minutes ago. And I remember the Lord saying, I don't, I don't want this right now. I want reconciliation with your wife. Why don't you look her in the face and tell her you're sorry? So I remember just leaning over to her and 
hugging her and saying, I'm so sorry, that's not who I want to be. I want to be a man that is gentle and kind, and we don't need to argue about that kind of stuff. And I remember just feeling the freedom and just the, the weight of the world fell off, and, and God saying, that is worship. You know, I felt defeated coming into that service, thinking, Lord, I came and worship you. And the enemy is just playing on those strings right there. He's saying, hey, you're unworthy, you're unfit, you're not righteous, you are to blame. But that's not what God says to us, right? He says we're worthy, we're righteous, we're, we stand in the shadow of the Jesus Christ, we are accepted. And so if you base your worship off of the condemnation state, the, the I'm guilty, I just can't come into your presence, Father, well, then your worship is going to be uh, shallow and just it won't be effective. But if you base your worship off of this truth, ready? Jesus Christ has paid it all. It is finished. It is done. And that's, that's something right. we just celebrate that's about. Right. Amen? Come on. Base your faith, base your worship off of Jesus Christ has accomplished it all. When you walk into the presence, when you know you're not condemned, man, it's just a different ballgame. That is awesome, man. Um, well, here's what we're going to do. We are going to enter into a time of just quiet reflection, and then we're going to take communion, then we're going to end with a few songs and, and just fulfill what we're commanded to do in Scripture and what our purpose is in, in, in our lives. Because when we come together and sing, we are declaring these truths and, the, and transformation happens in those moments. And so let's just take a moment. Could you all just bow your heads and close your eyes if you're sitting at the pilot campus or you're, you're sitting in, uh, alone watching online or with others watching online, just bow your heads in just kind of a quiet moment of prayer and let's just go before the Lord. How is it possible that we get to call you Father. Our Father is the one who's so mighty. He breathes out the universe, speaks all that is into existence, and He is our Father, the most powerful, almighty one. You say you are for us the source of all beauty and glory and, and joy and love, you have adopted us into your family. How is it possible that you are our Father, the one that will never leave us or forsake us, the one who hears every prayer, hears, sees every tear, knows every hurt in our hearts. You're always with us, taking us under your mighty wings. You are our Father. How is it possible that our Father sacrificed so greatly so that we could be with you? And how is it possible that we are so praiseless? It's unconscionable. Lord, we confess that to you. We confess our praiselessness before you, holy, almighty God, maker of the universe who is hearing our prayers right now. We confess our praiselessness to you and we repent of it. We turn the other way and we run towards praise to fulfill who we were made to be. We will praise your name. We will lift up your name and we will be a people that lift up your name. 
Would you take a few more minutes and just quiet reflection and confession for the Almighty, for your Father? Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.